Let's do that hockey. Welcome to Dauber Prospects Report. This is report number 40. I'm Victor Nuno, one of the co-hosts here. And with me, as always, is Peter Harling. How you doing, Pete? Well, I'm a bit all right, Victor. I'm enjoying that we're about halfway through the season, eh? And we got the listener leagues going in on full steam. I'm doing all right. I'm in fifth overall. We got 18 teams in, in my league. How are you doing in yours? Well, you brought it up, so it doesn't feel like a braggy brag, but I'm in first. <laughs> first place. We're 82, 84 and 35 and 2, so we have just over 700 win percent and bobby clark and wayne's world we named we decided to name i don't know if i mentioned this before all of our team names after victors after winners captains of the stanley cup champion team and so we picked the nick lidstrom's and bobby clark wayne for wayne gretzky wayne's world so there there were some people who suggested their names and i was like who is that and then you go back to like the 1923 stanley cup and and there he is so i did i learned some history from there you go we got some some history buffs in our leagues, eh? Definitely. Yeah, in my league, we went with with no longer existing teams. So I chose an homage to my hometown. I'm going with the Kingston Raiders, and I'm in fifth overall. I got a 68, 47, and 6 record. So that's not too bad. And I hope I'll be doing a little bit better. But as long as I make the playoffs, then, you know, that's when the real fun starts. So does that make me the loser of the group since uh, I'm in 10th place in my yes. league? <laughs> I believe it does. So, Let me check the, check the math. First, fifth, got, 10th. Yes, that checks out. Yep. So we got <laughs> Man in the Miro, the Rick DiPietro brothers, and Coach Pupe, not Rupe, Pupe, Chintz. Nice. So, first, the first place team in, in my league might have the best. It's the Macon Whoopies. The Macon Whoopies? Yes, which is very solid. Minnesota right. North Stars. Right up there too. I think the Macon Whoopi is is the best name, for right? Sure. Right. <laughs> Just awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm also a big fan. No one's no one's got this name in my league, but it's a it's an ECHL team, and I, I love the name. It's the Grenville Swamp Rapids. That's <laughs> that's classic. With a killer logo too. Yeah, everyone's been setting their lineups every day. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, to a fault, I might add. Yeah, I set my lineup too often. And I, I've been in violation of the game's played limit. Too, and I feel, I feel shame. You both have. <laughs> yes. I've, yeah. had to, I've had to dock you points on uh, more than one occasion. I'm in the box of shame. <laughs> yes, I too will join you. And they're now on a five-on-three power play. <laughs> on with the show. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so in today's report, we're going to talk about a couple things. So... The CHL trade deadline is as we record this today, January 10th. And so by the time you hear this, it won't be too far past that. We're going to talk about some big name prospects that move. Obviously not the lesser trades because they're probably not that relevant. We might do a little bit World Junior wrap up and talk about another really big trade that happened in the NHL. I'm sure you've all heard of it. But before we get started, I want to remind you that the Dauber Prospects Report is a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. We're very excited to be part of the Army of Fantastic Hockey Podcasts. Please check out at HockeyPodNet for all the shows like this one. Talking hockey from fantasy to team coverage to you name it. You can also use the DraftKings promo code THPN for listening to the show. More on that in a bit. And the DPR show is also proudly sponsored by Fantrax. 
Fantrax is the ultimate league manager for any dynasty sport you play. It's completely customizable for however you want to set up your league, from scoring categories to an amazing draft room to host the draft, draft pick trading, treasury option, and so much more. Use the promo code to sign up for a free league using the link fantrax.com forward slash DPR show. And we're right. We did our listener league check-in and we have to start, Pete, with the monster. I don't know if it caught you off guard, but it seemed to catch pretty much everybody off guard. This trade that happened on Monday. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, it did catch me off guard. I wasn't expecting this at all. But then thinking about it in hindsight, I remember there's there is some there is there is an indication that something like this might happen early in the season. So the trade, of course, is the Philadelphia Flyers trade Petr Goche to the Anaheim Ducks for Jamie Drysdale and a second round pick. And the 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 hint that this might have been coming came when when Goche refused to go to the Philadelphia Flyers rookie camp, which he went to the previous season right after his draft. And so I guess there's there's been some indication that he's not happy there. He doesn't want to play. I think Friedman the other day or today reported that a lot of it has to do with the fact that he wanted to sign after last season. And Philadelphia said, said, no, I think they had cap issues with his performance bonuses and that that would have caused them problems. So I think he was done with them at that point. So taking a look at, I had some thoughts on this trade. I, I got some things on my brain. I need to, to unload on, on the listeners here. And, and how some of this might affect fantasy values of, of the players involved in the trade and, and the players on the teams that were involved with the trade too. So starting from a Ducks perspective, they trade away from a position of strength. As we've mentioned on this show multiple times, they have a glut of premium defensive prospects in the system. Owen Zelliger, Pavel Mitikeyev, Tristan Leno, Jackson Lacombe, Noah Warren, Drew Hellison, Tyson Hins, on and on and on we'd go. Don't so, right? That, it goes on. <laughs> That's the on part. Sorry. Yeah. So, not only do the Ducks have strong depth on defense, so th- they can they can afford to lose Drysdale, right? Not too many teams can can say that, but they can they can afford to lose a player of his caliber here. And then up up front, they're adding Goche, and they got an embarrassment of riches up front down the middle as well. I'm looking at Trevor Zegras. Mason McTavish, Leo Carlson, and now they add Petr Goche to that mix, which makes a really solid foundation for the foreseeable future. And these players would all have experience and, and option at playing on the wing, too. So it gives the, the Ducks options how they want to divide this up. Maybe they end up trading a player like Zgras away in, a, in an alternate deal as well. Who knows? But they've, they've got some really good young prospect depth and balance in the system as well. Very impressive. So I see this as a, as a win for the Ducks. As Gauthier is the player, I think that has kind of has the higher upside between the two. And I think the second round pick going with Drysdale to Philadelphia kind of is an indication that, that, that the two teams involved in this trade saw it the state, see it the same way. So I think that Anaheim is getting the better player. It solidifies their center and depth forward, and it doesn't really deplete their defensive ranks either. So I don't see this being bad news for the Ducks prospects from a fantasy perspective. It balances out their depth nicely, creating opportunity for Zellweger and Mitikeyev. I see them being the top pairing defensemen now in the offense point of view. So they'll get prime minutes, power play opportunity, and it really just kind of solidifies them 
as the top pairing offensive stars. And it moves them up and makes space for Tristan Leno and some other players like maybe Lacombe or Hallison, perhaps whoever, whoever walks through that open door to secure the middle pairing role in Anaheim too now, right? Where it's a little bit muddled there and you're looking at their, their prospect depth and you think, man, they got a lot of great defensemen. How are they going to fit them all in? Well, this helps. Not all of them are going to pan out. Of course, we talked about that happening in on previous shows and stuff that, but this will certainly help with that. So up front, the addition of Gauthier, who can play center or wing, will also round out the top six. They all have center possibilities, wing possibilities, and the Gauthier addition will support the offensive depth of the production from all of their forwards as well. I think it just it makes the rich richer, right? Like a high tide raises all boats kind of thing, or whatever that saying goes. Now, looking at this from a Flyers perspective, you know, it seemed Goji had no intention of being a Flyer, and he kind of forced the hand of the Flyers to make this deal. And with a gun to their head, I think they pulled off a very decent return. I mean, it might not have been really public knowledge that Goji was on the block, but I'm, I'm sure it was, it was well known amongst the NHL GM inner circles. And when you know that a team's got a gun to the head to move a player like that, because if they don't, he's just going to go back into the draft eventually then sometimes you try to exploit that. And I think the Philadelphia made out very well here. They got a good group of defensive prospects already with Jäger Zamula, Cam York, Ronnie Adderd, Emil Andre, Oliver Bonk, all nice pieces, but arguably not a real true number one in the ranks there, in my opinion. And I think Drysdale is that and can be that. And his addition will really support those players because it slots them into roles that they're better suited for and will be more successful in. How many times have you seen players get thrust into positions like up the depth chart that they're not really, they don't really have the, the resume for and, and they kind of flame out and then they kind of burn out. They lose their confidence and it, it's be dead. It can be detrimental to their career overall. When you see players slotted into positions where they're, they're the right person for that position for that job then they could be very successful there so i think that's something that we're going to start seeing in philadelphia where york will will be an excellent number two leaving zamula adard andre bach to round out the depth and compete with travis sandheim and rasmus Wisterlinen, who are the only nhl defensemen they have under contract for more than a year or maybe two they've got some guys but they don't have any long-term defense under contract because they have some pretty good ones coming i think so the loss of Goche up front is, of course, going to sting. And I think that's going to be one of the main differences between this deal is I don't I think Anaheim can survive the loss of Drysdale more than the Flyers will survive the loss of Goche. It really depletes their forward prospect ranks quite a bit. The idea of a Goche, Matt Bay, Mitchkov dynamic duo was very tantalizing, to say the least. Um, so I think Mitchkov, you know, he's he's going to score his points. kind of no matter what, he's that good. But it, you know, kind of, it kind of maybe might suck for some of the other prospects in the flyer system that won't have Goche to work with. So that's kind of where I was thinking with this. And, and for Drysdale, I don't think it really moves the needle for him very much immediately. I think he was already playing a pretty prominent role in Anaheim and he'll continue to do that in Philadelphia. I think he's playing tonight and he's already got a point. And Goche's in, Goche's in college. So, you know, we're not going to see him really until next season he'll i'm sure he'll sign because it sounds like he was all keen to sign <clears throat> after his freshman season so he'll he'll play out this season i'm sure at boston college and um, 
and sign as soon as that's done. And uh, we'll get we'll get a, a cup of coffee with him at the end of the season, and then he'll full time next next year. So that's kind of where I'm seeing all the factors at play here, Victor. What's what's your take? You've got some some charts here that I'm looking at. Tell me what's going on in your head. Yeah, I think you did a great job of kind of building an, an interesting narrative about the whole thing. I have lots of thoughts too. I'll talk about some of them. One of the things that I think I agree with you about the position of strength and Drysdale, you know, Anaheim dealing from a position of strength. I also, I'm not convinced that all the GMs knew this issue. I think that Philly was quietly shopping with the understanding that everything would stay quiet. I, in terms of the deal, I've heard some people pan the flyers, but I, I think that, as you said, they didn't have a lot of options. And I think for the limited options that they had, I think they did a really good job. I think they got a, a good, young, right-handed defenseman who who maybe isn't a projected number one D, but is easily a top four, I think, moving forward. And those top four right-handed D don't grow on trees. So I think they did a really good job, all things considered. If someone wasn't going to sign and you get Jamie Drysdale out of it, I think people need to calm down and realize they did a really good job with this trade because they could have got squawked for Cutter Gauthier if, if everything moved forward as he wanted. I also, I don't know what you think about this, but personally, I just think that teams should do that. I think players, I'm sorry, should do this more. I think that the system that we've built where players just have to like, go with it and go wherever people tell them to and they have no say is is really an insane system quite frankly and you know for as capitalistic as our society is this sort of socialized way that we demand you know assign prospects to these teams i just think it's kind of wild and i think more players should do what matthew kachuk did and what you know i don't know all the ins and outs of what cutter Gauthier did or why he did it but i think players should have more say over where they play you know, Adam Fox did it. People gave him a hard time. But hey, if I'm Adam Fox and I want to play in New York and I don't want to play in Calgary, I feel like I should have some say in that, right? So I don't I don't mind that part at all. People can say whatever they want about him and, and maybe he didn't have the right motivation. I have no idea whether he did or not. I just think in general, players should have a little bit more say in where they play. And so I personally didn't mind that part at all. I have more to say about other things, but you have thoughts on that, Pete? Yeah, I kind of disagree. I think, you know, when you get hired on a job, you don't say, I want to work in this department. Like, well, that's great, man. But I'm paying you and you're going to work here. And if you don't like it, well, then there's the door. See you later. I think the system is designed in a way such that players get that control once they've earned it, after they've, they've gone through a few years and established themselves as legitimate NHL players and have had a couple of seasons. And I like the fact that this it's not random, the, the prospect allocation. It's, it's done via a draft, which is based on the standings, right? So if, if every player could just choose where they want to play, like, like it is in the NCAA, the rich will be rich and stay rich, and they'll always be the elite of recruiting. And then you'll have other destinations, for whatever reason, the players don't always want to go to, maybe because they have tax reasons or weather or whatever. And I'll just throw Winnipeg under the bus here. Winnipeg might have a really hard time recruiting prospects and players to go there. So I, I think it, I think it, it is the way it is by design. And I like the way it is, you know, Lindros said, said no to Quebec and made his way to, to Philadelphia. So Philadelphia won in that scenario. And, and now today they're, they've got a player that says, I don't want to go to Philadelphia. And, and so it's working against them. 
And so it happens, right? And there's there's lots of other examples. Adam Fox is another one of a player who refused to to sign. And it, you know, your options are ask the team to trade you, and they can try and, and get something for you, or or you wait it out and you wait your your couple of years, and you go either go back in the draft if you're if you're a junior player, or you wait four years and become a free agent if you're an NCAA player. Those are your those are your options. So if you really don't want to play there and the team doesn't want to trade you, then you gotta you gotta pay for it by losing several years of NHL potential earnings. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to debate this endlessly because I, I can already tell we're not going to agree. But I just think that it's not the same as a job because with a job you have a specific company and a skill set that's different. And what we're talking about here and i understand the argument of like oh the rich are going to get richer and all that but like there are other things you can do to incentivize players to come play for you right if you're a team who can say like anaheim hey come here play now sign you now right we have cap space there's different things you can do to motivate incentivize teams and i'm not saying we should completely change the system and and it is still kind of random even though the, the worst players the worst teams get the best players there's still a lottery i mean there's still it's still random it's still not completely you know like uh merit based you know a lot of people would say the chicago blackhawks didn't deserve Connor bedard but they got him right but if there was if there was an incentive and any team could sign him and throw all kinds of incentives you know that might change the landscape and i doubt he would end up in chicago uh, i just think that it's really skewed in the team department and i think that players should have a little bit more say and right now they have almost none until they've potentially been in the league for a really long time and accrued some injuries. And, you know, we've seen careers derailed because I mean, look at Nolan Patrick, right? I mean, he basically didn't have much of a career. He had concussions, he had injuries and potentially his, his time was mismanaged, potentially not, but he never really had a true career. So would that have been different if we went somewhere else? I don't know, maybe not, but I just, I just think that that's kind of annoying. And I, I, I think it's, I'm not mad about that part at all, I guess is, is my point. But there's more to say about this trade in general. And I think you laid out most of the good things. I think Jamie Drysdale is a really interesting piece to move. I think a lot of people are still really high on him in terms of him being like a really strong offensive potential. And I think that there's some signs that point to that could be true. He's someone who also has had some injuries, you know, kind of derail his development. I think it's worth also revisiting his development because he was drafted in 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 2020 and that was a covid draft he was his development was affected and he was in a draft that was pretty weak for a defenseman i mean jake sanderson has been good and there's some other guys but he was kind of billed as like the offensive defenseman but it was a really weak draft for offensive defensemen. so i think people kind of overstated his value there and then the ohl was shut down and he was forced to the ahl you know that's not easy for a young player and then the year after that he basically came straight into the nhl on a really bad Ducks team and then he's had some injuries so you know he's he hasn't really had that like normal development season although he did have a full season in 21 22 where the results were not so good but he also was on a really bad team I can't get away from the fact that if you look at his evolving hockey tracking data over all the minutes he's played in the NHL it's been really really bad defensively and so the course he against the expected goals against is is deeply negative, like in the bottom 10 percentile of the whole league. That's that's no good. So maybe the system in Philly will really, really help him and he'll unlock some of that offensive potential. I think we can't really deny what's happening 
in Philly, as much as you may or may not like Torts, what he's doing is really working. That team is good. You know, they're a playoff team. And him going into that environment, right, might really, really help him. And he might rediscover some of that potential because by a couple of these metrics, like the PNHLE still has him as like a 61 point potential defenseman. Well, that's really good. The hockey prospecting has him as like a 94% chance of being a star. Okay. I kind of doubt that, but there's still some metrics that suggest that he could be really, really good. Personally, if I was still sitting on Jamie Dreisel, I don't think that I would wait to find out. I would I would probably sell high if I could, because I don't personally believe that the upside is that high, but I do still think he could be a reasonably productive offensive defenseman, but I think his defensive game needs to come a really long way for him to unlock that. And as you mentioned, there's some competition there, right? Zamula is doing really well with the power play now, and York is, you know, shown to be pretty good. And Travis Seinheim, Seinheim has kind of unlocked some of his potential. So they're certainly not going to just give it to him. And I think that he he really has a lot to work to, to kind of uncover that. In terms of Gautier, by the way, the World Junior Championship ended. And have we said USA, USA, USA yet? Say, say. Uh, I know uh, Evans yeah, with uh, me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was he was great. You know, at the World Juniors, he was kind of everything that we've been hoping and thinking he could be. And, you know, ever since he was, you know, if you remember back to that draft, people were kind of shocked that he was taken as highly as he was. And, you know, people were like, really? Fifth overall? Wow. OK. And, you know, not really, you know, they, the, the, the part of the story was, can he be a center? Not sure if that was going to be the case. But, you know, he has played some center, but a lot of wing. But so far in college, he's basically been an over a point per game player in both seasons. And he had 12 points in seven games as an alternate captain for the Americans. And he was great. I really don't think he is a center moving forward. You mentioned the the strong potential center depth in Anaheim. I don't think he or Zegers is a center. I think it's McTavish. I think it's Carlson, which is great. And one of those two could, but they probably will just have a bottom six guy play center. And those two will probably play wing. If Zegers is even still there, it sounds like they might be shopping him too, as you alluded to. And that kind of bears out in some of the tracking data for Gautier. If you look at Mitch Brown stuff, the defense for Gautier last year in college was really quite poor, even though the offense was great. And even in this world junior championships, the defense was like basically average for a strong player, an offensive player. That was, that was really not so good. And I also think what's really funny, and Byron Bader mentioned this on Twitter, is Cutter Gauthier's hockey prospecting star potential looks almost identical to Bobby Ryan, a former longtime Anaheim Duck. And I think that, you know, probably his upside is similar to that. You know, a pretty strong, fantasy-relevant forward, but I don't think he's like point-per-game, you know, perennial 75-plus point player. I think we need to temper our expectations a little bit about Cutter. And I think he's probably a wing. You know, he's probably a top six wing, which is great. You know, it's a good piece to have. But I don't think that he's, you know, like top line, top power play, right in stone kind of thing. I think his defensive game needs a lot of work or he needs to be paired with one of those uh, defensive, strong defensive centermen that they might have in Anaheim or that they do have. So I don't know. That's my thoughts on on those, Pete. Any other thoughts on all that? Yeah, the Bobby Ryan comparison is an interesting one. I think the the off just looking purely at the offensive production, I think those projections are are a good comp. But I think Goche will probably be a, a much more impactful player 
beyond the scoring. I think he's he's brings a lot more to the game than than Bobby Ryan did, uh, other than scoring. Right? Like if Bobby Ryan wasn't scoring, he was just kind of invisible. Um, he wasn't providing stellar defense. He wasn't very physical. Not you're saying that Cutter Goche is not very stellar defensively either, but at least he's big. And he can move around the ice pretty good. So I've I've got a I got a lot of a lot of time for Carter Goche, and I'd be happy to own him in any of my dynasty leagues. Well, too bad I don't have him, and I couldn't trade him to you for something better. Yeah, no, I'd trade you something good for him. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, I would like to jump in. Jamie Drysdale has already got his first point as a flyer. They ran him out there on the power play tonight against the Canadians, heading into overtime. That's right. That is true. All right, so let's talk about, speaking of trades, let's talk about, uh, you mentioned it off the top, it's trade deadline time in the CHL leagues, and we've had a number of star players find themselves in New Jersey's heading into the stretch drive for the playoffs, and teams in the CHL will often do this every year. They'll trade a plethora of draft picks to teams that are rebuilding or rental star players that are in their fourth or final season of junior eligibility. So let's start with a couple of world junior alumni from Team Canada. And we got Matt Savoy, Buffalo Sabres 2022 ninth overall pick in the first round. He has 32% fan tracks roster ship as we speak. And he was traded from the... I don't even know how to say this yet. I got to figure out how to pronounce that. Not you well to the uh, Moose Jaw Warriors for seven draft picks. So when you usually see a superstar player traded at the end of their junior career, they get traded for a hall of draft picks. It's because the team is, is not a contender and the team that he's going to is. But both these teams are third in their conference right now. So I thought that was kind of. Kind of interesting. So the Wenatchee Wild seems to be throwing in the towel here because they traded Cutter Goche away. Not Cutter Geeky away as well. There's a difference there in a World Junior Championship gold medal that you're mistaking. Right. Just just <laughs> this year. Not not last year or the year before that. I gotta get it in when I can, man. It doesn't happen all that often. There you go. Enjoy your 15 minutes. So the Warriors are adding Savoy to a core that consists of other star players, such as Jager Furkus, Brandon Jaeger, Dante Matejcik. And, and so they are a real contender that will go, hopefully, for them, along on a long run in the playoffs, all the way to the Memorial Cup. And Savoy has played in the NHL, American Hockey League, the WHL, and the World Junior Championships all this season. So he's bounced around quite a bit, varying results. One game in the NHL, so he, you know, he can't really read anything into that. He did have six games in the American Hockey League, uh, and he had five points there, so that is very impressive. His junior production was outstanding as well, with 11 goals in 11 games, 24 points. But he was a little underwhelming for Canada, I thought, at the World Junior Championships. But we'll look to finish his career on a high note before returning to the American Hockey League next year and try and recapture some of the confidence and fantasy value that he might have lost by playing kind of poorly at, at the World Juniors with, with Canada. So that's a, kind of my take on the Savoy trade here. Victor, what do you, what do you think about the impact on this? Yeah, definitely. And, and as you said, the, the kind of an interesting based on where the teams are. I always love these 
these trades because it's like here's 47 draft picks for a good player and it's just like makes your head spin right it's like okay that how, yeah. how, how does that even work but you know they do they do it all the time so they do and you know you trade away so many draft picks and well then you just you trade away players next year and get some of those draft picks back right so it, it's asset management you it give and take it with one hand and then you bring it back in the next season in the reverse style trade yeah it totally makes sense but it is it is still a bit strange to me yeah, yeah. i think savoy is, is a real interesting player because I remember, you know, talking with Joel and kind of people who who watch him. I, there was always these concerns as like, is this is is the way he scores in junior going to translate? And I, I still don't know that I fully believe that it will. But he's he's making it harder and harder to not believe in what he's capable of because he just keeps producing. And I remember we had this discussion about with Joel on Fancy Hockey Life about, well, you know, he's an undersized forward in the WHL who, you know, is, is scoring really well. And so everyone wants to compare him to Braden Point, which is hilarious because his hockey prospecting comp, his best comp literally is Braden Point. And he does look like him, although currently in this D plus two season, he actually looks quite a bit better than Point did, which is kind of surprising. And in terms of his NHL equivalency, uh, the difference is Point was doing quite well in the NHL in his D plus three season, three season. I don't think that Savoy is going to do that. I think he's probably going to need an AHL year. We'll see. You're right. He was pretty disappointing, I would say, at the World Junior Championships. I mean, the, the whole Canada team seemed to not really jive and, and have some struggles in the games that mattered. But, you know, overall, he he was OK. I mean, I don't think it was like terrible or anything his expected goals and his expected assists. And, and a lot of his tracking numbers were actually quite good. It just, the actual results were one goal and or one assist in four games. So the counting raw numbers were maybe a bit disappointing from someone who we thought was going to be more of a, of a leader in terms of actual production in, in terms of his, his tracking data last year, he was really good in the WHL. So I think for me, the jury's still out. Like, does this translate? If you look at Mesa Black's PNHLE chart, he's pretty consistently hovered at a first line potential, basically a 70 to 75 point guy for the past four seasons. So, you know, I guess it's hard to argue with that. But then we also have to think about what is happening in Buffalo and where does he fit into that top six? You know, I, I wrote an article at EP Ringside about Yuri Kulik and part of the exercise was just thinking, like, what is this top six going to look like in three, four years? And I don't know. For Kulik, that might mean a third line center. For Savoy, is he good enough to beat out Jack Quinn and, you know, Skinner and, and Thompson and Tuck are all going to still be there? So where does Savoy fit in? I'm not sure he forces himself into that conversation. It might be hard. So that would give me a little bit of concern. Plus, you know, he's smaller and has some not great defensive numbers. And so what does he do if he's not in an offensive role? That's uh, that's always going to be the issue. And I'm not sure he brings enough to the table to make that uh, a really consistent, you know, middle six, bottom six player. So I have my concerns about the boy. I probably would try to sell high if I could, if he really pops off uh, with his new team. That that would be my move. Uh, I don't have him anywhere, though, so I don't have the opportunity to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that Buffalo roster is definitely going to be a tough nut to crack. Okay, so Savoy's teammate, Connor Geeky, was also recently traded to the Swift Current Broncos. 
and Swift Current is right behind Moose Jaw in the standings, but they kind of got a little bit less star power. Like I listed off the players that Savoy is going to be going to play with, and the most recognizable players for you know the average household names are Owen Pickering, Josh Philman, and Connor Hivitson. I'm not sure how to pronounce that guy's name. I've never been able to say it. And I'm Ducks Prospect. So a lot of people who are listening to this might have heard of Owen Pickering, but I not know who the other two guys are. And those are the NHL drafted prospects that are that are the most commonly known. So, you know, we'll see how they do. And but they paid the freight and in, in, in picks to pick up Connor Geeky. So they got their their big star player in, in Big Geek. And Wenachi is clearly throwing in the towel. So this may extend Geeky's playoffs by a round or two. So it'll be good for him and his fantasy value to to not be in Wen- Wenachi anymore and moving on to a team that is more poised to go on a longer playoff run. And, you know, hopefully he can he can have a good run there. And maybe his presence will help the fantasy value of some of these other guys, too, by giving them some inflated stats and notoriety by an extended playoff run. What's your take on on Geeky to Swift Current? Yeah, well, I don't know as much about the team. That was good that you laid that out. And by the way, I think you're saying it totally right. Wenatchee is how most people would say it. People from Western, Northern U.S. do kind of have a bit of a twang, and they would say Wenatchee. But I don't think that that's to say you're saying it wrong. (laughs) Uh, But uh, yeah, I've always thought Connor Geeky of more of a middle to bottom six center. And so this probably not going to change too much. Maybe he'll pop off a little bit more with this opportunity. One of the things that's always kind of annoyed me with him is he's, he's this huge dude, you know, he's six, four, 200 pounds, but he never really played that physical. And then we saw at the world junior where he kind of laid into a guy, which seemed like a totally fine hit to, to most people in, in the North American game, but they gave him, they kicked him out of the game after what, 17 seconds or something. So it was nice to see him be a little bit more physical, but then he got immediately punished for it, which was kind of unfortunate. But overall, I think he's 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 kind of struggled to do that, and he he wasn't bad in that in that tournament overall. I mean, in terms of the the raw numbers, he had three points in five games. One of those games could barely count because he was immediately kicked out. So overall, he was pretty decent. But a lot of his underlying numbers you would expect to be a lot better for a 19 year old big guy who's physically you know more developed than a lot of the players he was playing against so with that in mind his overall score was only 78 his offense was 80 in transition game 54 so you would expect it a little bit more from from geeky and even though like his in the whl his his raw numbers look like they're getting so much better it's kind of what you would expect for you know a fourth year whl player you would expect him to be closer to two points per game and so his equivalency still kind of looks like a middle six, you know, between second and first line, you know, between 55 and 70 point forward at, at sort of his peak is kind of where the PNHLE has him. And the hockey prospecting model has him more of like the best comp. One of the best comps for him is Andrew Cogliano, who is not exciting at all. And so that might be where he kind of ends up. I, I also threw in here just for fun a comparison to his brother, Morgan Geeky. And Morgan Geeky definitely looks like, always looked like more of a a replacement level producer. And Connor looks much better than that. So if you're wondering how he compares to his brother, significantly better. And so there's more of a chance in terms of offense, I would say. 
And Morgan Geeky, you know, kind of having a renaissance resurgence with the Boston Bruins. He's, you know, getting getting some relevance and, and getting some points, which is nice. So I do think that Connor has a little bit more to give offensively. So we'll have to see about that. But but I'm I'm actually not really really not that interested in Connor. I never was, and I don't have him anywhere. But if I could get something better for him, I would I would probably trade him. What about you, Pete? Yeah, kind of kind of similar. I've never really been super hot and bothered for him. I really liked his performance at the World Juniors, though. I thought he was an impactful player. And while he scored near a point a game pace, which is good, he wasn't there purely to be offense. He was a really strong net front presence for them on the power play. And he caused all kind of trouble for the other team and gave Macklin Celebrini a nice target as well on the on the power play to aim for tips and deflections. But I caution against, you know, getting too excited about the big players who are six foot four and fully physically matured, 18 years old, playing in junior hockey, is they lose that distinct advantage when they turn pro. And if a lot of their game is based on the fact that they're just that much bigger and stronger than a bunch of teenagers, well, they lose that that leverage when they when they turn pro and they, they go to the AHL or the, or the NHL and they're playing against guys the same size. So they, it's nice to have that, don't get me wrong, but that can't be the bulk of, of their value. They have to be able to, to do a lot of other things in order to maintain relevancy at higher levels. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. All right, good to good to move on here. Let's talk about another player. We got Alexander Suzdalev. He is a Washington Capitals third round pick, 70th overall from the 2022 draft. He's got a low 4% fan tracks roster ship. And he's gone from the Regina Pats to the Saskatoon Blades. So he played last year in Regina with, with Bernard, and he racked up 86 points in 66 games there. Not too shabby. This year, he decided to leave the CHL and the Russian-Swede dual citizenship player. He went back to Europe. And he played in the Allsvenskan, where he his production really dried up this season in Allsvenskan. It's the second-tier pro league. I think if you get relegated out of the SHL, you go into the Allsvenskan league. And if you win that, and then you go up to the NHL. So over there, he was kind of getting... You know, I looked at his his gameplay log on Elite Prospects, and he had some games where he was getting eight or nine minutes, and some games where he was getting 14, 15 minutes. So it was a little up and down, but never really very high. So he was getting kind of limited ice time and probably limited role over there, which is why his production was was so dried up. And probably because of that, he's decided to give the CHL another shot as long as he's able to play on a team that was competitive, and, and he is now. He'll come back and play for the first place Saskatoon Blades and join a nice roster there that consists of Leafs prospects Fraser Minton and Brandon Lazowski, along with the likes of Tanner Molendyke, a Nashville Predators prospect, Yegor Sidorov, another Ducks prospect, and overage player Trevor Wong, who's not drafted, but he's got 65 points 
in 38 games, and he is right there among the lead leaguers in the WHL in scoring this season. So a strong playoff and a deep run for Suzilev, I think, will go a long way in restoring his fading fantasy value. What's your take on Suzdalev, Victor? Yeah, I would say Suzdalev. I don't know if it matters. But yeah, he's someone who it's kind of difficult to get too excited about him. I think when he was tearing it up in the WHL, I think we all kind of knew that it was probably the Connor Bedard effect. And it was great to see him do it, but it was also like, yeah, this seems like it's it's inflated, you know. And and then we don't know for sure, obviously, yet, but the struggling numbers in the WHL, I mean, in the Hockey Ospinskin might corroborate that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens the rest of the way. I still think that there's some upside here. I'm just not sure that that we can believe too much of what happened with the Bedard show last year. I think if I had him and he did really well with Saskatoon, then it probably would. I probably want to trade him and capitalize on that. We didn't talk about Minton, but he was traded earlier, not at the deadline. So he was with Kamloops and then he's been with Saskatoon for a bit. And so, yeah, there's some opportunity there. And I, I, I don't, I'm not too excited about him. If you look at his projection, it's funny. We were just talking about Morgan geeky. Well, the similarity score on the ranking app is uh, almost exactly similar for Suzdalev and Morgan Geeky. So if Morgan Geeky is like the most likely outcome, probably not too excited about Suzdalev. He does have uh, a couple of interesting comps in the hockey prospecting model. Probably the most interesting one, someone I who I know well, Devin Setaguchi, who was relevant for like a hot minute with the Sharks. And then when he wasn't playing with Joe Thornton, everyone kind of realized that he wasn't as good as as maybe they might have thought. Which which sounds like what might be happening with Suzdalov and Connor Bedard at a different stage in their career. So yeah, I'm not super excited with that with him, but you know, maybe if you could pick him up and then he pops off in the WHL, then maybe you could get some value out of him. That would be a strategy I would take. I was just about to suggest that. That's so funny that you know his 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 roster ship is super low right now. So this might be a good time to scoop him up free and then, you know, he starts playing on a on a team that's it's good again, junior and very loaded roster, as I pointed out, and becomes a point of game player in the WHL, has a nice long playoff run, looks good in the Memorial Cup, and there's an opportunity to trade him for a high value for something that you got for free. All right, so that's some WHL trades. We got the OHL trade deadline happened as well, and there's some players on the move. Let's start with the Sillinger of the OHL recently, and that's Owen Beck. Montreal Canadiens 2022 second round pick, 33rd overall. He's got 15% roster ship on fan tracks, and he's traded from the Peterborough Peets to the Saginaw Spirit. You might recall Beck was a rental last year as well, going from Mississauga to Peterborough, and he was a key player in helping the Peets to a OHL championship punch their ticket to the Memorial Cup. He uh, played on the World Juniors last year, played on the World Juniors this year. So, you know, the, the kids got a lot of big game experience. So they, Spirit are bringing in uh, a heavy hitter here. So he's going to return to the Memorial Cup this year in his final year in the OHL as a rental player with the host team, Saginaw. So, Victor, they get a, they get a really nice player here in, in Beck and is an insulating player. 
I don't think he's like an offensive superstar. He's very good offensively at the junior level. But this is a player I'm predicting will will be a nice insulation depth player for them better than, you know, a bottom six, but not as good as a top six. And uh, he's really good on faceoffs. We saw him play with with Team Canada. I think he'll play a similar role here where they can put him out in all situations. He's versatile. He's good defensively. He's good at puck possession. He's good at creating momentum and chances for your team. He can be physical. He's a little bit of a, a utility knife there. What's your what's your analysis on Mr. Beck? I would say pretty similar. I think that he is a strong junior player. He's probably an NHLer because he's so smart and versatile, but I don't think that he's a top six player. I think he's probably a middle or bottom six center, and that's probably the role he's going to even play on Saginaw because they're a pretty stacked team, and that's kind of the role he played in Canada's World Junior. Even as a returning player, he was kind of thrust into more of a role player and that I think that's just frankly where he where he sits best he's you know even in that tournament his offense and his expected goals and assists was a little bit lower than you would you would think kind of more average but his defensive and transition game was excellent and that's kind of what they asked him to do and that's that's what he's good at I think he'll continue to do that his PNHL right now looks like about a 40 point player it's interesting in hockey prospecting he has exactly one star comp and that was Jonathan Marcheseau, who kind of broke the mold of players with this type of projection. I think the more reasonable projection is kind of looks a lot like Adam Henrique. So someone like that, who, you know, is kind of a decent two-way guy and gets some opportunity just because he's a, a strong all-around player and, and might have some relevance, but not really someone that you're pining for, you know, probably more of a streamer level in many instances. So that's what I think about Beck. Uh, you said we were done with the WHL, but I think we actually have one more, don't we? Oh, yeah. Well, as we're recording, it's kind of breaking news. It happened just recently. So by the time you're listening to this, it, it's no longer breaking news, but it's cool for us. It's like we're on a radio show. Evan's boy, Nate Danielson. Detroit Red Wings, 2023 ninth overall pick. He's got 27% fan tracks roster ship. He's going from fifth place in the Eastern Conference where he was captain of Brandon to the second overall in the West with Portland. And he looked okay. I thought at the world junior championships with Canada and his defensive role there, I thought he brought a lot of, a lot of good defense and skating and, and wasn't a liability offensively kind of similar, similar in style. I think a little bit to Beck, maybe not quite as much energy, but a, a versatile player. He's captain of the Wheat Kings, and he was a point-per-game player there. 28 points in, in 28 games. What do you think? What do you think Portland's getting with, with Nate Danielson? He's still got another year of junior eligibility, I believe. Well, he was just drafted. Unless he's a late, late-born. He should have one more year, right? He is actually a very, very late-born for his All draft right. year. He's a September 27th. So that's one of the things that I was talking about at the draft, too, is that He's he has kind of a mature game, and I think that's part of what a lot of people liked about him. But it's also like there's less runway for him to improve and, and kind of flex he, he is, more offensive skills. He yeah. yeah, he, he kind of is more what he is. Not that not that he can't get better. I mean, he's still only 19, but I do think that he is kind of more of that, you know, defensive player two way. I think he's more of a, a middle to bottom six player, which, you know, I mean, if you're getting that at you know the 
pretty much the, the nine spot, nine to nine to twenty-five. If you're getting any kind of NHLer that plays two hundred games as a as an NHL team, you're pretty happy about it. I'm sure as a fantasy GM, you want obviously more. But that's that's kind of who Nate Danielson is. Interesting on this tracking data at the World Championships, he was really good in terms of his Corsi against, but not so good in terms of his offensive zone retrieval, which meant that his defense, part of his defensive metrics were a little bit lower, but overall he was really good there in the role that he played, which was kind of more of a depth role, but he had some scoring too, three points in five games. Looking at the hockey prospecting, his comp actually looks a little bit like Kirby Doc, which I think is probably a reasonable outcome. Like there's still some offense there. There's some potential, but you know, it's kind of more of that middle six uh, type of player. I think that Danielson probably has a more two-way game, more mature than than does Kirby Doc. But yeah, I mean, I, I've always been a little bit lower on Danielson, even though I think that he went a little bit higher than he went a little bit higher than a lot of us expected. And, and poor Evan is 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 shaking his head in disgust. Why, why don't you tell us your thoughts, Evan? Chime in here, Evan. He looked pretty good in the preseason. And I think Iserman's going to like him as, you know, a third line two-way centerman. I think he might end up, and I think I've said this before, as a Ryan O'Reilly type player, someone they can ally in for some, you know, center depth down the middle. But I don't know. I thought he played really well in the preseason. He he, he looked really good during the rookie camp as well. So I'm I'm fired up about Nate Danielson. I'm also optimistic because I have to be. Well, when they, they reached to draft Mo Sider, a couple years before Danielson, everyone yeah. was like, ooh, that's early, bud. That's early. Now it looks like that was spot on. So we'll we'll see if he can if history can repeat itself here and he can pull it off again. All right, good to move on back to the OHL. We'll talk about uh, the next guy coming up will be Edward Shale. Spelt Sale, S-A-L-E. Seattle Krakens, first round pick for 2023. They picked him up at 20th overall. He's rocking an 18% fan tracks roster ship. He's going to the Kitchener Rangers from the Barry Colts. So the rich get richer. This gives Kitchener, by my count, six NHL drafted players, including Philip Meshar, Montreal Canadiens, Matt and Andowski, and Thomas Hamara, a couple of Ottawa center picks, and of course, Hunter Rustevich and fellow Seattle prospect. Carson Rekoff. This will give him an opportunity, I think, to produce a high volume of points. Kitchener scores a lot. The last five games, they've got 18 goals. That's not bad. And he should be poised for a deep playoff run with a good chance for a Memorial Cup tournament as well with Kitchener Rangers. And we talked about Chalet on, on the last episode, I believe, or maybe the one before, or one of the World Junior episodes we just did. And we mentioned his, his main criticism is his consistency. I thought he played well at the World Juniors through the whole tournament, but it is a short seven-game tournament, so that's not, you know, not super high praise. It's better than not playing well. And with a long playoff run that he could have in Kitchener, I think this will give scouts an opportunity to kind of see how he's able to maintain his consistency and his intensity in a playoff run. And if you're owning him on your Fantrax roster or you're considering acquiring him in fantasy, I think that's something that you should be watching as well just to see how how he does in playoff hockey. I think it's a good litmus test for a lot of prospects. What's your take on on Shale, Victor? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I remain skeptical. Do you want the good news or the bad news, Pete? 
Let's end with the good. So give, give me the give me the Debbie Downer first. Well, he definitely is having a bit of a down season in, in the WHL. 20 points, 25 games up until this point. And, you know, may, as you mentioned, maybe a boost here. The bad news is his tracking data from the World Junior Championships is one of the worst you will see, especially for a supposed top prospect. His defense was rated 7th percentile. I mean, it seems like you just stand in the way, get a couple blocks, and you'd get a better percentile than that. <laughs> His transition game was 24th percentile. I mean, you're used to looking at these cards, and I don't know if, if people never have. Like, the blue is good, and so usually for the top prospects, you see a lot of blue. This one's all red and orange because it's bad, very bad. The only thing that's decent is the offense, which he had a slightly above average expected goals and primary assists, so... You know, there's a little bit more to work with. And you might say like, okay, well, he was maybe on not the best team. But I mean, Czechia, I mean, say what you want about maybe Canada should or shouldn't have lost to them. But they were a pretty decent team. You know, they had they had some talent. They were they were no pushover. And that game could have gone either way. And and obviously they showed they were they were a pretty decent team. The good news is that he was definitely one of the best offensive drivers in terms of expected primary points. Like that was he was clearly one of the best. And this is a team, as we mentioned, that had Yuri Kulik, who is, I think, a way better player, phenomenal player. And Chalet had better combined goals and assists, expected goals and assists. Kulik had far better expected goals, but way fewer expected assists. So there you go. Take, take, take from that whatever you want. But some of those other guys you mentioned who were on this team, like Hamara, and even some of the guys who play, who scored a lot, like Matias Sapovalov, didn't do as well as as Edward Charlie in terms of those underlying numbers. In terms of his hockey prospecting, this poor OHL equivalency isn't helping his case much. He he doesn't really look like many top producers. There's only one who basically broke the mold, and that was Rupe Hans, who had a terrible equivalency until he turned into an NHL star. Like it just didn't make any sense. But the one that he does kind of look like in this model is Ilya Mikheyev, which, you know, would be a success if he ended up in terms of the what the Kraken might want out of a player drafted 20th overall. That would be reasonable. But I'm sure, as you mentioned, with the skill level and it, what he can do occasionally, if he could only do it more consistently, I think there's a higher upside there. So it'll be interesting to see. Kitchener is certainly a better environment to score. Breakoff is amazing and you know we saw that at the tournament he's a real offensive driver brustevich i mean they got some great talent there so you know maybe it'll, it'll really help him it also seems like a, a better system for him that he might be able to contribute more and so i kind of like the opportunity if i had him though i would for sure like use this opportunity to to pump his tires and, and trade him because i personally don't believe long term in what he has yeah well his defense is bad his offense is good for fantasy purposes, we usually don't give a damn about the defense as long as it's good enough to 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 get him in the league. If it's so bad that he can't play in the NHL, then it doesn't matter how good his offense is. Uh, so we'll, like I said, keep an eye on him in the playoffs in the OHL, see how he does. And I think uh, if it's if it's very good, I'm kind of with you. Sell high, make make the best of that situation. All right, so we're kind of starting to run out of time on the show here, my dude. So I think we'll just skip the the QMJHL because they didn't really have any relevant players that I could see that I wanted to talk about. So that's a time saver. We do have a couple of listener questions. We we had someone ask us who we thought our World Junior 
prospects were that were stock risers and stock fallers. So I think that's a super fun question. Let's do let's do our top riser and faller each. I'll go first. For for me, it's easier to pick players who I think their stock went up than players who their stock went down. But I'm gonna pick a player that I think maybe a lot of people wouldn't for the stock up, and and that's Lane Hudson. So going into this this tournament, I think a lot of people, myself included, assumed that he would have some some really gross offensive production. Score a lot, has some highlight real plays, both good and bad. And while his production was was good, he had six assists, no goals, seven games. It wasn't great. It wasn't the earth-shattering production, record-setting production that I was kind of thinking that he's capable of doing. And he only had a few kind of really electric plays. And it wasn't until later in the tournament that, you know, people started saying on Twitter, there's the Lane Hudson I know. Let's, there we go. Now we're seeing it. But what impressed me about him in this tournament, it was not his offensive play, obviously, but that's well-documented and established, of course. It's his defensive play. He was USA's, one of their top defensive defensemen. And they didn't play him in a sheltered role like I thought they would. You know, that he would get the all the power play time he could handle, get uh, opportunities when when they needed offense, right? When, when they were down or when they had a, a huge lead and they wanted to pile on. Um, offensive zone starts all those things he got defensive zone starts and he was a primary penalty killer for them i couldn't believe how many times i saw usa getting a penalty and they would start shorthanded with with lane hudson he was their go-to he's his zone defensive play i thought was really good for compared to what i was expecting i thought that he used his hockey sense his intelligence to put himself in positions to kill plays, create transition, close passing lanes, and and you know, and 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 block a lot of offensive opportunities for the other team. He was a lot, you know, he's not a big guy, so he wasn't, you know, snow plowing the front of the net, but he had a really good active stick. And I thought that he was quite effective. His rush defense was sometimes a little bit more questionable, but you know, overall, very good. So I think what we saw from Lane Hudson that, that I think moves his fantasy stock up was I think we saw a version that translates well to the NHL. I think we saw NHL Lane Hudson. That's how he has to play at the pro level in the NHL. He was a threat offensively. He created transition, puck possession, he, he pressure on, on points. And he was very good away from the puck, like I said. And as gifted as he is offensively, I had questions before about his NHL potential and i think those concerns were small sample size but it, those, some of those concerns were really satisfied at this tournament so so he's my riser any thoughts on on lane you watched all the u.s games so you you, see, you saw a lot i mean i don't think i could agree with you more i think you said it perfectly frankly is that he i did have some questions about his defensive game you know coming into it and just you know what he's what we've seen in the past trying a lot of really creative plays and i thought we were just going to see him do that like all offense and just you know not not really care too much defensively let someone else take care of that let ryan chesley take care of the defense no he was he was really good and really active i i still think the transition d and in in mitch's tracking data the entries prevented were quite poor but other than that the defensive stick the you know being responsible like not getting you know caught like all of that as you said NHL translatable defense was much more apparent for Lane Hudson, which you know people may think like, oh, who cares? 
it really matters. You know, if he's going to be playing third line top power play minutes versus top pairing minutes or second pairing minutes, that's going to, you're going to rack up so many more points and time on ice is everything. So I totally agree. He's still tracking as a superstar, 100 point defenseman. I don't know that that's really going to happen, but it's pretty fantastic. And I think that he helped his case a lot by his all around play. Totally agree. I'd like to chime in too about Lane Hudson because I get more trade offers in our DPR fantasy hockey league for Lane Hudson. And I would like everyone to know, please stop offering me garbage for Lane Hudson and I will not be trading. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that PSA. <laughs> all right. Who is your riser, Victor? We'll go, we'll go with the, the two risers and then we'll do all true followers. Yeah. Well, I think my, my, the guy I was most surprised with, I mean, I think there are a lot of guys I could have picked. I went with Isaac Howard. And the reason I went with Isaac Howard is that I think a lot of people kind of forgot about Isaac Howard. I mean, he was on that USNTDP team a couple of years ago that wasn't amazing. And he was good, but not incredible. And then he had a pretty good world junior and that helped him get drafted by Tampa at the end of the first round, 31st overall. And people are like, eh, you know, and then he went to Minnesota Duluth and just really did not have a good season. It was kind of a struggle for him. They're a good team. He's playing farther down in the lineup. And I think it's, you know, just a bit of an afterthought, like, okay, you know, he's probably not that good. And then this season, he transferred to Michigan State and has just been awesome. 20 points in 18 games. He's really refound his offense. And I think beyond that, in this tournament, like, he was just, he was money. Like, he was fighting for position. He was getting off good shots. Of course, the U.S. had a stacked team. But in that gold medal game, I mean, he was great. And he was better than some of the other top forwards who were out there. And... You know, looking at some of his, looking at his PNHLE, he's risen it from 30 to 59, almost doubling his PNHLE, which is pretty great. His hockey prospecting still looks a little bit subdued because I know Byron really punishes people who when they have a rough season like he did last season. And so it's it's still only looking like a 7% chance of being a star. But, you know, as a smaller forward, he's got some interesting comps. One of them is Brian Gianta, who everyone wants to pull out when there's a small forward comp. But I do think that, one of the things that really helps as a coward is that there isn't much going on in Tampa in terms of prospect readiness. And he probably at the end of this season, like probably even now could step onto that Tampa team and be decent, be a middle six forward. Probably won't happen. It'll probably be next year. He'll probably get some AHL time and maybe a midseason call up, but he's close and they're still a good team and they could probably use him as a depth scoring role. And so that should get you excited because who knows, maybe he clicks with Braden Point. And, you know, that'd be all she wrote. And then he has a 70 point season. So I think the path to relevance is so clear in Tampa. I think you have to be a little bit more excited about Isaac Howard for that reason. I mean, he could always get traded. He's obviously someone that they could dangle for more immediate help. And then that would change his projection. But I still think he's a pretty, I I think he helped his case a lot. What do you think, Pete? I'd hate to see Tampa trade him. They don't have very many good prospects or picks left. And I think it would be an act of desperation to trade him to, you know, get a rental player to help squeeze one more playoff run out of it. I think they'd be better suited holding on to a player like that. And I love his swagger. I mean, that kid has got swagger and I, I, I love that about him. I think that's my most endearing thing about him. All right. So we've picked two Americans for our, our risers. Oh, well, um, Evan has a riser. Who do you got, Evan? Well, do you consider Ruckert McGroarty? I think he had a pretty great tournament for the USA. Winnipeg Jets prospect. I mean, he had five goals, four assists, leveling people all over the ice. 
Yeah, captain. I, I think he was. He really showed. You know, he's coming off that big injury. Hasn't played much in, at Sierra Michigan yet, so I was excited to watch him play. He he really he really bullied some buried some people out there. Oh, another another American. Yeah, it's easy to pick out the the risers. Like I said, <laughs> I had a harder time finding finding fallers, but I think man, we both found them from the same team. Mine's <laughs> mine's Matt Savoy, Team Canada. I think injuries are a factor here, to be sure, right? Like he he missed some games because of injury, so he's probably playing through an injury, trying to make excuses for him. We talked about him right off the top as well, but you know he had no goals and one assist in the four games he played. He's brought over to, to score. That was his. That was he had one job, buddy. Your your job is to score some some points, and he had no no goals and one assist. So, you know, if you're if you're too injured to play and produce, then step aside and. Let someone else, there's plenty of other players. You know, I'm looking at you, Yager Fergus, that could have stepped in here and, and played a role. So for a player of his pedigree, much more was expected than what was delivered. So for that reason, he's my, he's my player who, who was on the downside. You're on mute. Totally agree. And we covered him above, so we didn't spend too much time on him, but it was definitely disappointing. And I think, yeah, as you alluded to, the Canadians overall were a little disappointing. So that's where my disappointing player stock down comes from. And that's Jordan Dumay. Jordan Dumay, who's, you know, a little fella. And but he's been tearing up the queue for years now. And we keep saying like, oh, but, you know, he's just doing so well. And, you know, he's getting close to two. He's two and a half points per game right now. And yeah, they brought him in to score. He had two points in five games. So that was a bit disappointing. And he just wasn't the player they thought it could be. And I think this does raise some questions about can he translate his scoring from the queue to the professional ranks to more difficult situations. And the World Junior Championships is, you know, a, a difficult environment. You know, a lot of equivalencies rate the World Junior Championships similar to an NCAA, which is closer to the AHL than the queue is. And so we got a I think we got a little taste of what he can do and it and it didn't go so well. I will say the expected primary assists and slot passes for Dume were very high. So you could argue that his teammates just didn't convert on the chances he was creating. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but it did seem to be possible. His defensive metrics were not so good, but overall, a lot of his other metrics by Mitch's tracking data were really good. Overall, his PNHLE still remains high, as does his hockey prospecting. I just have, I still have questions about his ability to translate what he's doing to the NHL. So this would not be the time to sell because his stock is maybe a bit down, but I think he'll go back and continue to do really well in the queue. And then maybe if you um, felt like I did, you would trade him for something. But uh, there's definitely some stock down there with Jordan Dumay. What did you think of him, Pete? Yeah, about the same. And he was brought over to score and he didn't. So disappointed. It's pretty much all there is to it. Like he, he, it's nothing else in his game that that they brought him over for. It's not for his size or his physicality or his defense. He didn't score. He didn't. He didn't live up to the hype. Okay, so we got another listener question. Just one more here. This one comes from Mason Ritchie. You can find him on Twitter at Ritchie with a T. And he asks, "What do you make of Frank Nazar? Hockey prospecting isn't very high on him, but he certainly had." flashes of brilliance i'll tell you what frank nazar is a player who got serious consideration for my riser category in the previous question 
So he's a Chicago Blackhawks 2022 first round, 19th overall pick. And he missed almost all of his entire draft plus one season as a freshman at Michigan to injury. He's returned uh, this year, playing a full season there, and he's reestablishing himself as an elite prospect. He's got 18 points in 18 games with the Wolverines and the NCAA. He was a key player for USA, I thought. He didn't score, but he had eight assists, and his play at the World Juniors was, was very, very good. Playmaking skill, passing abilities, those are all NHL-level good. He was good defensively. He's got really good uh, hockey sense. And he's he was dynamic on the rush. He was made really good decisions, really good passes on the rush, and created a lot of offense that way. So I think he's he's also got some physicality and and a high compete level, and that all screams NHL player. So I think Frank Nazar is a player that could be in Chicago like, as soon as next year. But if he needs another year of NCAA because he missed one or a year of American Hockey League adjustment and conditioning, I would not be disappointed with that. I think Frank Nazar is coming, and I think he's going to be a really nice number two center behind Connor Bedard. What's your take on on Nazar, Victor? Well, I, I don't, I couldn't agree more. I think he was, quite frankly, one of the best players on that American team. I think some people saw that him and Gavin Brindley and Howard as kind of a third line, but they were like probably the top line at times they were dictating play. They were, they were driving play. I don't think it was just like a matchup issue because they were getting softer matchups. One of the things that Mitch tracks is like game score, which includes all the things of like points, assists and breakups, all everything, total impact on the game. And Frank Nazar was third in the entire tournament in terms of total game score ahead of Gauthier, ahead of Celebrini you know, Snuggerud, Kulik, McGordy, all these guys, the only two guys ahead of him were Noah Oslin and Theo Lindstein, who were both awesome. But Nazar was super impactful, making incredible passes, like passes where players have no choice but to score because it's so perfect on their stick. Like the, that was the quality of the passes he was making. And yeah, hockey prospecting is a little down on him because as I mentioned in the last segment that Byron really punishes the player and their equivalency if they have a down year. And he had, I mean, you could call it a down year, but it was an injury year. So, you know, it's like, I think whenever you look at these things, you have to say like, was there a reason he didn't score very much? Yes, there was a good reason. He was very injured. And then he came back and that Michigan team was humming and he was not quite up to speed. So it's fair, you know, and this year he's doing great. And so if you look at the PNHLE, he's still like a 60 point player. I think he has upside for more and the hockey prospecting has him a little bit more subdued, but he does have a, a comp of, um, well, actually, never mind. It's, I was going to say he has a Kyle Connor comp, but that's only from his draft season. So yeah, he doesn't really have any good comps right now, but I still think that the upside is huge. I don't know that he's actually a center at the NHL level, but I, I think he's a strong top six forward for sure. And I think that he's going to have, yeah, him and Bedard and Reichel and whoever else is there is going to be going to be fun when Chicago is actually good again. Yep. He's going to be a big part of it. So that's what we think of Frank Nazar. He's the real deal. All right, everyone. Well, that's pretty much it. No more players got traded that we want to talk about. So we're going to put a bow on this episode. Thanks for listening to Dauber Prospect Report number 40. If you want to get a question in or, or just have a chat with us, you can reach out to us on Twitter or X. It's at DPR underscore show, Dauber Prospect Report underscore show, at Farling, P-H-A-R-L-I-N-G. 
at Victor Nuno V-I-C T-O-R-N-U-N-O 12 and at Sabarin 91 S-A-B-O-U-R-I-N 91. Don't forget to follow HockeyPodNet, all the cool shows on that network. Subscribe to this show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening and drop us a five-star review. Well, thank you for it. Call you out on the show for it. Thanks very much. That's it for this episode, everybody. Enjoy the hockey. Keep your stick on the ice. Let's do that hockey.